Hello, and welcome to this tantalising sampler version of Meet Me at the Museum. My name is Shadolfo Matuni. I'm a storyteller, a music producer, and a proud Scot. I've picked out some of my favourite bits from the past eight seasons, so you can get up close and personal with some of my favourite Scottish museums. Today, we'll be interrogating past intimacies with Brian Cox in Edinburgh. I think... She's really seducing him. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what she's doing, and I think he gets seduced. Actors Jack Loudon and Andrew Roth craft a little ditty for us. <laughs> and we'll be standing tall and proud with Edith Bowman in Glasgow. Yeah. She's going out strong. Isn't she? It's beautiful. Head held high. But first. Acclaimed journalist and broadcaster Kirsty Work took illustrator pal Joanna Basford to the V&A in Dundee. It's early days for this branch of the Victoria and Albert Museum, the first outside of London. It only opened in 2018. It's worth a visit for the building alone, being the brainchild of the renowned Japanese architect Kengo Kuma. I've gazed in awe at its concrete and glass exterior that was designed to act as a connector between the city and the River Tay. Kirsty and Joanna cast their eyes on some beautiful items and pondered their complex histories. Hi, Kirsty Hazard. Yes, uh, I'm a curator here at VA Dundee, so I'll be showing you the commission here today. Great, Thank and so you. what are we going to be looking at today? I mean, you know, I've been in here before, but it's lovely to be taken around mm. by one of the experts. I know. <laughs> and so I'm going to show you Mae for Edmund's commission, uh, which is called Plain and Ornamental of Every Description, which Let's is just over here. So this is Walter McFarlane and mm. Co, whose whose house was two doors down from us. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. rather beautiful inside. It's even still, it's owned by an artist mm. at the moment, actually. But just the the the, the reach of uh, McFarlane's was amazing, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So the the whole idea behind Walter McFarlane. So he um, was based in Saracen and the north of Glasgow. So really, the whole of Postle and Postle Park, what it is today, was basically created by Walter McFarlane. It didn't exist before that. Um, so Walter McFarlane was a producer of iron structures. And what was really interesting was this is the sort of height of the British Empire. So these, these structures went across the world. So what we're seeing in this commission is just um, the spread of, of where these structures went to. But what we're actually seeing here are beautiful, detailed mm-hmm. drawings and indeed some photographs. Mm-hmm. Of you know decorative pieces, they could be arcades, could be bandstands, mm-hmm. and they could be bridges, they could be gates, and I find it quite extraordinary that there were like thousands of men in Possel creating these gates to go to far-flung places, mm-hmm. and people were getting them on the basis of just looking in a catalogue. Yeah. you know that McFarlane said, "Well, I'll actually have that pair of gates. I'll have that bandstand. Thank you. This would look nice at the front of my house, but." It was so visionary just to send a catalogue and salesmen all over the world, yeah. all over the empire. Exactly. And um, to go back to how this whole thing came about, so we commissioned Maeve to basically look at one of the many objects that we have here in the Scottish Design Gallery. So we've got 300 objects. And we basically said to her, take one object and really explore the themes and, and the ideas behind that object. And the object that she picked was, I guess, quite a non-assuming object as you say it's a catalogue that sits in the display case just to the left of where we are just now a lot of people probably walk past it they don't realise what it is Um, but she was so interested in as you're saying 
just the beauty of these objects oh. and the descriptive language that was used and uh, the themes that come out of it, that that was the object that she chose to mm. make this commission out of, which I think is amazing, actually. So here you get a sense of the intricacy. And it's yeah. as, as somebody who's an artist, Johanna, mm-hmm. that is, uses intricate work, the intricacy of some of this ironwork is extraordinary. Yeah, and I love that, you know, it's, it's a really fine, detailed mm. sort of kind of art, but it's made with this big, heavy, robust mm. material, yeah. and, you know, the two don't seem to go together. <laughs> so look up there. This was terminals. You know, this is for ter- terminals for roofs, spires, turrets, and building decoration. You could actually get your little, your turret yeah. <laughs> sent over mm-hmm. and put in. Look at this one, look. So you've got the original drawing and you've got the drawing of this particular bandstand in Adelaide and then you've actually got the structure there. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, we actually got something very similar, much, much closer to home. So right here in Dundee, we've got an example of one of these bandstands in uh, Magdalen Green Park, which is 15, 20 minutes away from where we're standing right now. And that was a Walter McFarlane one? It was a Walter McFarlane. Is that a full-size bandstand or the tiny little one? We've got both. Okay. <laughs> it's a funny set of market. There's miniature bandstands, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> I like these drawings long at the end because as a person that draws myself, I know how much I use a computer just to sort of help tweak my hand drawings. And this must have all been done by hand, meticulously measured out, squared paper, you know, to get those drawings exactly right for the engineering process mm. makes me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but look, this is, you know, you know a, a worker, an iron worker from Glasgow who perhaps never even left the city, mm-hmm. his handiwork ends up in the Sao Paulo railway station in the refreshment stall. Mm. I think that's, that's amazing. Crazy, yep. isn't it? It's exactly as it was designed. Mm. It hasn't changed. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's extraordinary. You know, there are lots of um, things you can say about empire that weren't good and colonialism. And, you know, we have to own it. We have to own the fact that perhaps the fact that, you know, McFarland's was so successful was because we were colonists. Mm -hmm. But I think we can still celebrate the glory of great design and the glory of endeavour and the fact that hundreds and thousands of people were employed in Scotland making things of great beauty, beauty and utility. And I think that... The craftsmanship, we, we really should celebrate that. You know, there's so much so much stuff is made by people that we don't know so far away. And, you know, I think there's a tendency to think that we're not good at anything, but that's just ridiculous. You know, you can tell from in there that we've been amazing at making stuff and coming up with ideas for centuries. And I think it's just a, a wonderful um, story to inspire us to stop looking outward and to start keeping our talent here and showing people that they don't have to move away to London or New York or, you know, any of these places to to make it, as we always used to say. Like, now you can stay here and and compete on a global level from home. As you do, from (laughs) home in the Aberdeenshire countryside. I do, yeah. (laughs) There's definitely something in acknowledging the breadth of beauty and talent in Scotland, but also our muddy and controversial past. From the concrete and glass modernist masterpiece of the V&A in Dundee, where, by the way, you get 50% off entry to the exhibitions with a national art pass, we travel south to the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum. With its beautiful turrets and beautiful red sandstone facade, we drop in with the broadcaster Edith Bowman and her friend Kelly Quinn 
as they delve into a dark period of Scottish history. Now, this piece is the one I wanted to come and see. Is it? Okay, but tell me. this one, the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots. Oh Robert Harriman's execution of Mary, Queen of Scots from 1867. Now, I mean, she looks incredible to me. She's, just to describe what's happening, she is um, Mary, Queen of Scots, heading towards her executioner. Um, she's walking up to the, the executioner's block and she is dressed in her widow's clothing with the most beautiful long white veil and she's being watched by two of her sort of handmaidens or, or, or yeah. maids back then mm -hmm. and I believe another man so it looks like sympathisers on one side and then enemies kind of on the other side yeah she's walking but she's them. so serene looking and considering if I'm right she had been held down in London for about nearly 20 years they, they just the, the slight um visual of the petticoat the kind yeah. of red petticoat and her rosary beads yeah as well it's beautiful yeah, that is it's, beautiful it's stunning it actually says see it says there the Oil red the blood red petticoat symbolizes her martyrdom to the catholic faith yeah she's going out strong isn't she it's held, beautiful head held high and again in the description next to this she's described as one of scotland's most romantic figures the myth of romance Always romantic. We should be more romantic. I love romance. Yeah, I love a bit of romance. Husbands listening, check. <laughs> one, two, one, two. <laughs> right, let's move on. You know, we, we met in London nearly 20 years ago, which is mind-blowing. Um, and drawn to each other, I think, as Scottish people are when you hear an accent. And, yeah. Um, but I, I've just been back here now five years, and I came back and I went full... Scotland. I, I went to Glencoe and we went all around the Highlands and I still haven't done enough, but I'm fiercely yeah. Scottish. Mm -hmm. You never go anywhere in the world and people aren't happy to hear a Scottish accent. You're always greeted with a warm welcome. Um, That's the one thing I'm kind of scared about is losing my accent being down the road. And You're definitely not losing oh, your accent. Good. It's great to see, you know, a whole gaggle of children in a corner in the museum with instruments in their hands shakers and bells and stuff having a lovely time at toddler time Hello, uh, my name's Pat Doyle and I'm a learning assistant at Kelvin Grove Museum Pat, thanks for sticking around to chat to us that was a beautiful, lovely class Amazing. Tell us a little bit about why you do it here in Kelvin Grove uh, We've got an informal programme which is our weekend activities and um, toddler time is part of that informal programme, mm. um, which is still kind of educational as well. Absolutely. But, you know, and enjoyable. Yeah. Sometimes well, my child's never sang a Gaelic nursery rhyme before. <laughs> about porridge. <laughs> right. About porridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'll be taking that one home. <laughs> but just seeing their reaction, I mean, music's such a brilliant tool to communicate with, yeah, with kids. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, when, when the parents are singing in Gaelic and you see the two kids kind of moving and banging yeah. on the drums yeah. and the tambourines and stuff. That resonates with you. I mean, it resonated. Ah. I mean, they, they, they played that music to resonate going into battle. So you can, not that, well, children, toddlers <laughs> do go into battle, but that was resonating with them. Yeah. Like, uh -huh. it gets you in your soul, you know, and like. People don't really get a chance to do that these days. No. You know, they don't really get a chance to get involved in live music a lot mm -hmm. because there's so much recorded music, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so I tend to mix it. I do a bit of live music, a bit yeah. of recorded music. Yeah. 
it's this, uh, and it's, it's enjoyable. It's, it's a museum, you know, it's, it's educate, we're an educational stuff. Well, this makes a museum that. fun. I can't yeah. imagine there'd be probably many children be like, I don't want to go to the museum. And then you're like, well, wait till you come along and meet Pat. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got to say thanks for making our yeah. Scottish babies even more Scottish. Thank you. Yeah. One of the reasons why I love Glasgow so much is our sticking it to the man attitude. As sure as there's a cone in the Duke of Wellington's head, we're a city unafraid of saying how it is. And actor Brian Cox explored a painting that unashamedly tells it like it is when he visited the Scottish National Gallery in Edinburgh with Dundonian actor Ava Hickey. <gasps> oh, wow. Look. It is a wow picture, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's, 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 it's beautiful. Beautiful. It's just, What do you think? It's stunning. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. You're just totally captivated by her. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Look at that face. I, look, at that, look at that face. Yeah, she's what just... What does that face say to you? She's looking right at you and she's just allowing you to look at her as well. Yeah. And, and the colours are so, I don't know, complimentary. It's, it feels very accurate, the detail in the chair and, the, Wait, and in that, the dress. I think that's interesting what you said about the detail in the chair because the chair is actually quite generally painted. Yeah. It's there, and you get it, but you get it at a mm. distance. But if you look up, it's quite... The thing is, it's all on her. Yeah. Yes. It's all about her, and everything is moving towards her. Even that wonderful way her arm is over the... Her left arm is over the edge of the chair there. Mm. It's, it's also... You, you put it beautifully. You said she allows you to look at her. Yeah. That's right. And I think you're absolutely right. That's there right. is a relationship well there. You come and look at this painting, and it's a very intimate, quite, quite slightly intimidating relationship. Well, mm. there She's, is something... There's a confrontational, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I was, I was doing my research on uh, John Singer Sargent, who I love, I just love his paintings. And, you know, he was... He painted portraits until about 1907, and then he, got, he didn't paint portraits after that, because... That was also the way he earned his living, was doing the portraits. But then he went into... Because he also painted some wonderful landscape stuff and there's some really stuff of his which is so excellent that's not just this. But the great thing about this painting is the story behind it. Yeah. Mm. She was married to this man and they didn't really have... who was much older than her and they didn't really have a very good relationship. Mm. In fact, it was a pretty awful relationship. She was all, everybody was also complaining that they say, oh, she was ill at this point, she wasn't very well, and, and, that, and that's kind of gone down in mythology. Yeah. Singer Sargent was bisexual. There was no question about it. He was very happy in that. He never married. I think she's really, she's really seducing him. Yeah. Yes. I think that's what she's doing, and I think he gets seduced. Because mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, where she eventually lived... He only lived about three doors. It is. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's really, and it's a complicated and rich dialogue between the husband, Noel Agnew, Lady Agnew, and the artist. Yes. And that we know, we, it's really frustrating because we don't know too much about it. There's a there's a gap in the middle there because the um, her husband paid for the picture, but then backed away. She went and held all these sittings in. Uh, Sergeant's um, wonderful, elegant studio in London, and the result clearly is um, the consequence of the chemistry yeah, between them. I, I, there's I think there's no, there's no question in my mind that there, yeah. there was they had a thing. Yeah. They definitely yeah. had a thing. <laughs> I don't that. think there's any question about. It. You look at the way she's yeah. looking. Yeah. Look at the way she's yeah. sort of. She's so open to him. 
there are key journeys which are always to do with paintings, like going to Paris for the first time, mm. and going to the well, they had the old Tuileries before they had the Musée d'Orsay. When you went in the Tuileries, all the pictures were just hanging up, and some of them were a bit, bit crooked, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, Van Gogh's, you know, the Postmaster, the one yeah. the famous. And that was on the wall, you know, he was, and he was like, he was, his painting was a bit like that, it was a bit crooked. So you just thought, this is incredible, you know, yeah. this art that was so available. Mm. And that's what I liked about this place, because the art is so available to you, just, you know, you just, it's there. Mm. Whereas a lot of museums, it's all about the museum and like the Prado or the Louvre, and they're exhausting, they're tiring, you know, yeah. you get knackered. But this place, I've never been knackered in this place. Mm. The painting I love most about this, it's my favourite painting. It's a very simple painting. It's a painting of a wee boy. With a, he's got a horn on his back and he's got, I think it's a fishing rod, mm. and he's got these, it's the boots that get me because the boots are too big for him. Mm. It's, it's a painting by Lepage. And, it, and he's a cheeky wee boy. What I love about that painting, why it means so much to me, is it's, it's a painting of a wee naff, you know, kind of kid that I was, grew up with. Mm. You know, and there's nothing fancy about him. And, he, and also, I didn't know it at the time, but he gave rise to the, the whole Glasgow school where everything became much more realist-based. Mm. You know, impressionist, but realist. It wasn't anything to do with... The highfalutins, you know, you know, there were no priests, the there, were no, there was no, yeah, lots Jesus. of, there were, there were no angels, no angels, no Jesus, <laughs> no Marys. It was just what it was. Yeah. Was this wee boy and uh, and that, and that rose because the French did that. The French mm-hmm. freed everybody up, and the Scots took it and ran with it. If you too want to gaze into the eyes of Lady Agnew of Loch Noe do go along to the Scottish National Gallery in Edinburgh where you'll get 50% off entry to exhibitions with your National Art Pass. One of the reasons us Scots have such a fierce pride in our identity is thanks to being seen in history as underdogs who refuse to give up without a good fight. History's a great teacher, depending, of course, on who is writing the history. Rumour has it, that the German army were so afraid of the Scottish soldiers during the First World War that they were nicknamed the Devils in Skirts. Put aside whether that's true or not for a second, actor Jack Loudon brought fellow actor Andrew Roth to the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, where they examined another period of history when the Scots fought valiantly. We've got background music, so you knew we were coming. Yeah, if you really want people to care about something, put some emotive music on it. Please bear with us for technical difficulties. <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> OK, so Scotland transformed. And that's early 1700s to early 1800s. Good years, I'd right. say. Yeah, I mean, not, not, not for all the battles and that, but... Do, do you know what... Uh, Became so obsessed with the 1700s in Scotland mm-hmm. and the different Jacobite rise in 1715, 1745 that you know when people go, is it a respectable time to have a drink? Mm-hmm. I always go, well, have a drink after the first rising. So it's 1715, mm. it's definitely acceptable. By 1745, you have your second gin and That is quite mad. Yeah, well. Uh, you, but you, good, though. You're either into it or you're not. Uh, you know, yeah. like. So, Bonnie Prince Charlie. So this, see, this, see this picture up here that you can see above here? 
okay. of, of the Redcoats and the Highlanders. So this is a very famous representation of what happened on the moor at Culloden. It ended 1745 rebellion. And on, uh-huh. once, on the right-hand side, you have the British troops, Redcoats, and on the left-hand side, you have Highlanders. Highlanders. And, Jack and David Moria, that's his name, painted this on request from the British government. Of course. And the name of the painting is An Incident in the Rebellion of 1745. An incident. And the, the, the Highlanders that are, that are running into the bayonets of the Brits... Some of those, the Jacobites that were captured at mm-hmm. Culloden, a lot of them were taken down and kept on transport ships in the Thames. And to make this picture, the, the artist asked for a bunch of them to get pulled out of the jail and used as life models for him wow. to draw. So you think of how humiliating that must no, have been yeah. for Highland, who didn't speak any English, all they had was Scots Gaelic. Literally stood there with some guy, Egypt, well, with a couple of paints going, can you just hold your hand up a bit higher? Make the face you made. When you, when you lost. When you lost. That's, I mean, how that's horrible. incredible. But that's the most famous painting. But, but Culloden, I think, was the last pitch battle fought in British soil. It was indeed. Which it is quite, quite incredible. But it was, it, was, it was a real, real dark spot in Scotland's history and sort of ended in the... And pivotal, really. It was, and it ended in the sort of, you know, the destruction of a whole culture, the Gallic culture, which is why so few people speak... Yep. today but it's hopefully changing what so this is oh my god right so this is bonnie prince charlie's traveling canteen that may have been for his 21st birthday it quite matches his sword and Taj um motif of yeah. being incredibly ornate he loved the bling he did love bling and he loved a drink did charlie which was sort of his after undoing, the, wasn't it? After the rising, when he was on the run, he was just sort of, um, I think it was a six or seven month period, and I bet he doesn't even remember most of it. It's like a gig. He probably doesn't remember it because he was off his face. Sozzled. So it's, you open it up like a Russian doll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You open it up and it's got all the gadgets in it, like all, a fork. Oh my God. Like, um, There's a corkscrew. Corkscrew. A little, a little plate, a little dish. This the case itself, the canteen, the case itself is silver, but everything inside is gold. I would like one of them. I'd, I'd love that. Imagine rocking up, what, in like a TGI Fridays? Uh, yeah, or, you know, you're on no, the train. Go need sir. I you have know. my own. Yeah. Wow. It's beautiful. It's got like, it's got little compartments within it that you could put your corkscrew, your tiny little mouse dish. Yeah. You so know. That, yeah, when he's eating his uh, avocado and toast. Oh, yeah. At Culloden. It's like canopies. It's like a canopy. Yeah. Like... Single-use canopy. It is stunning. I just can't get over, I'd never be able to get over when we come here, that that man, that Egypt, actually held that thing there through the glass. Absolutely. Don't you find that nuts? He actually held that. Yeah. Well, that concludes our Meet Me at the Museum tour for today. I've been Judolfo Matuni, bringing you some of my favourite museums in Scotland. And don't forget, with a National Art Pass, you can get bags of discounts and even free entry to some of the country's finest museums and galleries. Go to www.artfund.org forward slash explore and start planning your adventures. <laughs>